today on the show, we tell terrible jokes, sniff out ambushes, and embark on a road trip from hell. that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I am Lawrence. And I am Connor. And we have quite the episode for you today. Oh yeah. Things are heating up. Episode four. And we're not just talking about the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things are heating up and it's not the uh, 20-year-old ravioli. It's... Uh... <laughs> Things are, things are getting serious here. Oh my god! At least, at least we know now that Chef Boyardee is the food of the apocalypse. As if there was any doubt before. <laughs> you know, I think we all knew deep down that <laughs> when when shit gets bad and you have to live on the road and you know infrastructure breaks down, society collapses, you can still count on your old pal Chef Boyardee the, the, to feed you, fill your belly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, <laughs> Chef Boyardee is the food of the apocalypse now. <laughs> That and uh, Twinkies, you, know, you can always count on Twinkies. So, yeah, for my uh, for my bug out bag, for my emergency rucksack, I'm filling it up with cans of ravioli and Twinkies. That's all I've. Yeah, got my Desert there. Eagle Nothing and the else. Chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hunting knife, lots of bullets, lots of Boyardee <laughs> and Twinkies. Fun fact: Chef Boyardee, the real guy who inspired the brand Chef Boyardee, was from Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, we we're here. Uh, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> we out there. <laughs> But no, we, uh, we're here to talk about episode four of The Last of Us on HBO, uh, the adaptation, the TV show that continues to please, you know, continues to just put out the hits. I think the, the viewership has gone up like by big numbers each week or something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's been, it's been Yeah, I think it was up. 36% this week. So just like that 20-year-old wow. can of Chef Boyardee, it gets better with age. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a fine wine, just appreciating the value. Can. <laughs> in a sauce can. <laughs> in an aluminum can. Oh, God. Oh, man. But yeah, the usual the usual drill for you uh, on this episode will be uh, just breaking down uh, the events of episode four, which is titled, Please Hold to My Hand. We'll go over what happened, break down the story beats, and then uh, go into our thoughts on it. Just, you know, how we feel about it, react to it. You know, the drill at this point. But first, we uh, you know just want to remind everyone, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Anyone who wants to reach out to us can do so at podcast at loreparty.com. Uh, don't be shy with your thoughts, questions, concerns, comments, criticisms. Uh, you, we'd love to hear from you either way. Uh, who knows? We might read your correspondence in a future episode. You can you even tell know. us what you would keep in your, uh, you know, what's your what's your go to apocalypse food? Is it Chef Boyardee? Is it uh, <laughs> SpaghettiOs? Is it, is oh, it something else? <laughs> Chef Boyardee has many varieties. It's not just ravioli. You could go with beefaroni or tortellini or shells and meatballs. <laughs> I, I know way too much about <laughs> Chef Boyardee. <laughs> I uh, I may or may not have survived on it in college. So the chef the the chef is strong with you. <laughs> it, yes, the chef lives in my heart and my arteries. 
<laughs> and if you uh if you want to get in touch with us directly you can reach out to uh lawrence on twitter and twitch at produced by underscore lk that is at produced by underscore lk and uh you can find connor at connor howard vo on twitter and that's connor with an er and you can check out his mm-hmm. website at connor howard vo again with an er.com again that's connor howard vo.com just remember, remember the er don't do the first thing i said because i don't know what website <laughs> you'll get probably a blank domain <laughs> Yeah, don't yeah, dot net is bad news. Don't go there. dot uh, org. It's it's the prefer dot io myself, but you know, hey, <laughs> <laughs> io that's the that's the that's the wave of the future, isn't it? Everyone's doing oh, io. Yeah, I'm, I'm a secret okay, crypto like. bro. <laughs> <laughs> We're decentralized here, and and of course, you can actually get in touch with the entire Lore Party uh, Media team at Instagram, on Twitter, and on Twitch at Lore underscore Party. Don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. But before we kick this road trip off, I've got to finish this can of uh, beefaroni. Can't let it go to waste. (laughs) So we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. And without further ado, let's uh, jump right into it. We're going to break down the events of the most recent Last of Us episode. Please hold to my hand. And if you haven't watched it yet... Uh, now's the time to pause, go back and watch it. So, uh, you know, this is your spoiler warning. You've been warned. All right. We, we tried to warn you. Here, Here we go. go. <laughs> Let's get into it. All right. So um, we start in a bathroom on a roadside gas station of all places. Uh, Ellie is uh, practicing loading and unloading the gun that she stole from Bill's house. And she's mm-hmm. aiming it at the mirror and uh, getting a lot of... Uh, yeah, you know, scene made me a little nervous. I was just like, ever since, ever yeah. since like the rust thing, I'm just like, please, I just keep the keep the gun away, keep the prop <laughs> gun away from me. Like, <laughs> like it it just freaks me the hell out. Yeah. But you know, she is just kind of playing with this gun that she stole from from Bill's house. Uh, she keeps the gun like hidden away from Joel's attention, and uh, you know, she rejoins. Uh, him and he attempts to explain how a siphon works because he's just siphoning gas out of some old broken down car. Uh, it was a nice, nice scene because, like, he, you know, uh, was trying to be convincing, but yeah, he didn't know what the hell it, it did. Oh, it's like a uh, liquid moving against gravity because of, uh, you know, like pressure. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you don't know how right. it works, do you? <laughs> I, I do. I, I just know it works. And That's that all. would have been a, the good enough answer from the very beginning. I'd be like, there is, we do Absolutely. not need to know how this works. I mean, really, all you had to say was like, you're just creating a vacuum. You know, that's what Bill Nye would tell us if uh, he were around in this uh, post-apocalypse. I feel like Bill Nye would survive pretty long in the post-apocalyptic world. I think he would do pretty yeah, well. He, he yeah, would, he'd, he'd, you know, he'd be out there with the science facts and shit. I feel like he'd also yeah. probably have murdered a couple. I feel like he'd kill it. He'd have a couple bodies. <laughs> I I have no problem believing that Bill Nye could, could throw some hands and take some lives if he really had to. Science rules. Oh. <laughs> And, so, and speaking of terrible jokes, <laughs> bored Ellie pulls a joke book from her backpack, and then she begins tormenting Joel with terrible, terrible puns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's uh, she's enjoying trying to make him laugh a little too much. Like she's just really reveling in his 
groans and she's like, Haha, you're stuck with me. <laughs> she's kind of like milking it. Just harassing this poor, poor old man. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after they siphon some gas and, you know, uh, get back on the road, they're, you know, in the, in the truck they got from Bill and they're just kind of making good time, hauling ass across country, you know, covering the miles and in a truck, just the two of them alone, kind of like, you know, lots of time to kill. They get to talking. They start making small talk about, uh, you know, LEC's tanks and stuff broken down on the side of the road. And she's like, whoa, I've never seen a tank before. And Joel's like, oh, yeah, you'll see you'll see plenty of those uh, choppers, other military vehicles that are basically extinct now. Like they were uh, he, he kind of like alludes to how they were used early on in the outbreak, but weren't effective enough. And then they started, you know, being used to fight fireflies and other, you know, other people. He kind of refers to they're they're pointed at the wrong enemy, basically. So it's, you know, just making small talk, you know, more of that dynamic we've seen before of Joel kind of sharing his perspective as someone who knew the world before and Ellie, who obviously didn't know the world before. And, uh, you know, they just kind of pass more time. Ellie finds a cassette tape. Remember those good old cassette oh, tapes yeah. <laughs> before, before MP3s, even before uh, CDs, we had uh, cassette tapes. And this was not a cassette tape that was like reclaimed by some hipster. This was an actual factual <laughs> old cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the genuine article. And uh, it's also a tape of Hank Williams. It's a Hank Williams tape. Classic. You know, can't, can't go wrong with that. And, uh, you know, it's funny. It's the same joke from the game. Like she, it's like a lot of the dialogue one-to-one is translated from the game here in this scene where Ellie's like, Oh, Hey, is this, uh, you know, this, this is some of your stuff or like, you know, this making nostalgic. And, uh, Joel says, actually that's before my time, but, uh, that's a winner though. I like how he's like, that's cool. Let's play. And classic, classic banger. I would say so myself, uh, the song alone and forsaken by Hank Williams plays over the radio. And, uh, and there's this really cool montage of just they're just passing through all this like crumbling infrastructure, you know, re- wrecked vehicles and just uh, refuse covering the road. And Ellie's just staring out at all of it while the song plays. And uh, then later she <laughs> opens up an adult magazine, just like in the game. She's like, "Whoa, look at all these interesting pictures!" You know, just kind of like again, like reveling in making Joel uncomfortable. He's obviously like, you shouldn't be looking at that. Put that away. And, you know, she just kind of fucking with him and throws it out the window and they just kind of continue passing this time. It's a, it's a really cool little montage. It's like part montage, part, you know, comedic back and forth between them. And, uh, it's just, it, it, we're getting the impression that they're covering a lot of ground here and, uh, just trying to fill the time by amusing themselves however they can. Oh really. yeah. And they passed, um, the weird thing is they passed that like herd of cattle. I would have. Uh, oh yeah, it was like it was like bison or something. Yeah, I think I would have uh, had to uh, get me one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little surprising. Yeah, Joel didn't really pull over, get his rifle out, and uh, set themselves up with some steaks, like you know, a, a week's worth of steak. Yeah, basically. I would I would have had to like Oregon Trail me something. It's like I got a I got a truck, so I could keep it in the back. I'm gonna, Exactly. But, uh, you know, we got some Chef Boyardee. Mm. Yeah, plenty of that. You know, who needs who needs fresh yeah. beef when you've got <laughs> <laughs> decades old canned never goods. go bad. And so as uh, darkness starts to set in, Joel pulls the truck off the road into a nearby forest, uh, which is actually kind of that S10, man. That S10 just keeps on. It, it handled the field just fine, went right into those trees and... Kept yeah, that's the perfect truck for the apocalypse. My God. 
And so they they sit down for a delicious dinner of uh, 20-year-old Chef Boyardee ravioli. It's fucking gross. This is, this is where all this chef talk has been, been coming. It's been leading uh, up to this. This is the entire episode right here. <laughs> this was our main takeaway yeah. is that Chef Boyardee is the food of the apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> well, hey, at least at least they heated it up. They weren't like eating it cold out of the can. We have to give them. Yeah, that they did. Joe had a nifty a gas stove and um and mm-hmm. uh they cooked it on there. And uh so we get some some mm-hmm. nice dialogue because like Ellie of course asked Joel if they could start a fire because it's she's freezing her ass off. And Joel refuses, mm-hmm. and she was like, you know what? You're afraid the infected are gonna see the smoke? And he's like, No, fungus isn't that smart. Um, mm-hmm. and so like, she's just like, oh, people, what are they going to rob us? And Joel was like, basically he implies that getting robbed would probably be the least of their worries. Yeah. yeah. It could be, it could get a lot worse yeah. than that. He's, he's, he, it, it, like, we know, we can get the impression that he's implying something from experience here. Like you don't even want to know what people out here might do. Yeah. To yeah. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there's a lot of dark possibilities because, we are in a mm-hmm. lawless land now. Yeah. And so, you know, they they kind of settle into their sleeping bags and uh, Joel keeps this like loaded bolt action rifle just like by his mm-hmm. side. He's getting ready to like Dick Cheney someone if <laughs> if anything, uh, <laughs> if anything moves. And so it's a, it's like, a, you know, like they they go they go get some rest. Their plan is to just like drive through the rest of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And so like Ellie lays down in her sleeping bag takes out her flashlight, starts reading that book, and then uh, she tries to get Joel's attention. And then she's like, hey, I got a serious question. A serious question for you. And then it turns out to be, why did a scarecrow get an award? And um, Joel actually answers this one. He's like, because he was outstanding <laughs> in his field, which is like a rare break <laughs> from, from this man's cold, callous, like, don't yeah. talk to me ass attitude that he has. Right. He actually plays along for a second. And, uh, and I think Ellie shows her appreciation by, uh, just kind of yelling like, you, you motherfucker, you knew yeah. that one. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and like he funny. turns, you know, and he's like not facing her, but he's got this like kind of shitty grin on his face. Like, yeah, I know this mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Sly little smirk. Yeah. yeah. And so like, now he tells her to go to sleep, but then Ellie asks for reassurance mm-hmm. that no one will find him. To which Joel, you know, reaffirms like, "Yeah, no one, no one will find us." Um, mm-hmm. And you know, despite his his answer to Ellie, you know, that their their campsite is safe, he does get up and uh, he stands yeah. guard. And like, yeah. uh, it's it's like kind of feels like partially like, you know, maybe he wants to protect this kid or just maybe he's that that paranoid, like, you know, being out here in the open. Yeah. It could be either. It feels like that's a good point. It's layered. I think it's like you know, he has these instincts that he can't turn off. Like he never feels safe. It's that's a trauma response. But I think uh, on some level, you could argue that no, some of his protective instincts are kicking in as well. Like this, this is this kid, basically uh, young adult, barely is my responsibility. And, uh, you know, it's. I think, like, maybe by telling her, yeah, no one's going to find us here, he knows he's maybe lying, or maybe he's, like, just kind of telling her what she needs to hear a little bit, but he doesn't buy his own answer, so he's like, I'm not going to take chances. I'm going to stand yeah. watch, like, and barely sleep at all. Man so. is just, yeah, didn't need any sleep, just survived on 
whatever. <laughs> I don't know. On ravioli yeah, and coffee. Yeah, that, that ravioli <laughs> gave him a boost. That's right. And, and speaking of coffee, I guess that's how he gets through the next day because uh, in the morning, Ellie wakes up and, you know, she sees that uh, there's a little fire going. I guess it's safe in the during the daytime to make a fire. And Joel is brewing some coffee over the fire. And it's it's actually a really cool little camping equipment thing. You can see like, it's actually like a, a wood-burning percolator, basically, yep. is what he's using to make the coffee. It's this really cool little pot. That, I don't know. I find that fascinating. No, I thought that was like, cool, too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, you know, she uh, she wakes up to the smell of coffee, which she is disgusted by. <laughs> She's like, what the hell is this shit? <laughs> that hurt my soul. But they uh, they get back in the truck and continue their drive, and they they talk about coffee. You know, she's like, "How do you how do you drink that?" <laughs> or something. She, she says, um, "I think she he's like Joel is drinking this coffee that he brewed over the fire out of like this thermos, basically." And Ellie's like, "That smells like burnt shit." Yeah. And I love this because his only reply, the way he answers that, is he just slurps it even louder <laughs> out of his thermos. And like. What I love about that is and she was like, is this what those like Starbucks and the QZ used to sell? And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, Starbucks coffee is burnt shit anyways. It's it's that's it's, very true. It's like really acidic <laughs> and gross. And I was like, oh, he must have gotten a fresh bag of Starbucks coffee. <laughs> hey, what's that? That was that was not 20 years old. That was brand new. <laughs> He got it straight from the Starbucks in Boston. Uh, uh, they, they love their Starbucks over there. Keep it stocked. <laughs> Stacked. But yeah, so um, they're, they're, again, passing more time on the road, just driving, just covering the miles. And uh, they start looking over the map. You know, uh, Ellie has basically like the road atlas on her lap of the, of the United States and just... They're looking at their route uh, from where they are to Wyoming, which is where they're where they're headed. And they talk about the plan to uh, just look for Tommy. And Ellie starts prodding Joel for just more information about his brother. Like he hasn't really talked about Tommy that much up until now. And so Ellie wants to know, like, oh, what's his name? How old, is he older or younger? And yada yada. And Joel starts to, you know, open, not like open, open, but you know, he's he's sharing some information. He says, like, you know, Tommy's what we used to call a joiner. He says, uh, you know, joiner is a term he uses where, you know, his little brother always dreamed of being a hero, basically. He explains how Tommy joined the army right out of high school because he wanted to be a hero, but that didn't really satisfy him. So uh, then the outbreak happened and Tommy fell in with a group of survivors who were heading to Boston. And Joel describes how he basically tagged along just to look after Tommy and keep him, keep yep. him safe. And that's how they met Tess and ended up uh, in Boston together. But then... And the tone, the tone uh, changes a little bit here when Joel brings up Marlene. He like kind of drops his tone a little bit, and then Tommy met Marlene, who talked him into joining the Fireflies again. That like chasing that dream of being a hero, kind of like how you know what led him into the army way back in the day. And so um, yeah, Tommy joined the Fireflies, but then later dropped out of that group too. So it's like you get the impression that Tommy was a joiner, really idealistic, but didn't stick with his cause for very long. In any case, he was a rare joiner quitter. <laughs> <laughs> he was the follower who uh whose motivations only lasted so long and yeah he's just no nah, i'm bored yeah, fuck this here. i'm gone <laughs> <laughs> and so joel like kind of boils it all down to a dismissal basically he kind of like dismisses uh the, both the firefly cause and tommy's kind of lifelong obsession with being a hero is he kind of dismisses all of it as a pipe dream basically he, he as far as joel's consider as far as joel considers it it's all delusional yeah and so he kind of writes it all off and 
this leads Ellie to ask him a very, I think, very thematically important question. Like with this, a lot of this story comes back to this question of, if you don't think there's hope for the world, why do you keep going? Is what Al, is what Ellie wants to know from Joel, and he kind of shrugs a little bit, but he, he does give an answer. He says, you know, you keep going for family, like you keep going for that those few people who are very important to you, including Tommy. That's like that's why he's doing all this. Like I'm gonna look out for my little brother. And Ellie asks, well, am I family? And we saw this in the trailer, really, really important kind of tone setting conversation here. He says, no, you're not family, you're cargo. And Tess was like family. So I'm doing this for her. You're just kind of coincidental to what I'm doing for my family, basically. So it's, you know, there's there's a bit more of um, Joel and Ellie kind of figuring each other out here, but also setting boundaries between each other a little bit. Like Joel is still keeping that wall up. Like he's he's opened up to her a tiny bit along the way so far, but he still has that big wall up. Like you're not family to me. You're cargo is, is how he still sees. But her. you're important at the same time because of Tess. Right. And so like that's why I liked him standing up there like the night before. And yeah. like I was like, oh, this has a little I was like, I feel like this has a little bit to do with with Ellie, a little bit to do with Tess and a little bit to do with his own general paranoia about this like really fucked up world. Right. So it's like, exactly. yeah, man is firing on all cylinders here and, and just in a, in a tornado of, of different things happening to him. Yeah. And so they they uh, they keep driving. Ellie falls asleep after, you know, saying she's going to stay up. Should should have had some of that burnt shit coffee. <laughs> I guess so. When she wakes up, Joel has like dri- has basically like driven them all the way to Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Pittsburgh. No. <laughs> Pittsburgh too. It's the yeah. second Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> and so they they uh find the highway ahead just like blocked by uh like wrecked cars and uh then a big ass semi truck turns mm-hmm. sideways. Mm-hmm. And so Joel's spider senses start start tingling and he's like sensing yeah. a trap here. Yeah, this and, is sus. Uh, yeah. He's like he gets out um you know, he, he gets out with his gun and then gets back in the car and is like they were going to he looks at the map and then was like, fuck it, and decides to try this like detour around the blockade. Mm-hmm. And so he's like trying to go basically cut into the streets, find a right turn and and just kind of fly back onto the highway and, and right. get at back out of there. He's like he's cutting down the city streets and um, he drives by the entrance of what appears to be an abandoned quarantine zone. Mm-hmm. And like, so Ellie sees it and asks, where is, uh, you know, where is Fedra? And then um, a seemingly wounded man appears in the street ahead. And anyone who's played the video game knew exactly what the fuck this was. Yeah, we know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so he's like, he's calling for help. And he's like, looks like he's wounded. He's like, oh, help me. And all Joel does is I put on your seatbelt to Ellie. And uh, he, he revs that engine and just flies at the guy yep so they uh you know they they speed down the street they're like getting shot at and someone's throwing like cinder blocks and Mm -hmm. and at the truck window joel um the time they run over like a spike strip Mm -hmm. and they crash into an old laundromat and you notice that the the damn airbags on the s10 apparently aren't there or don't work Ah, thanks (laughs) thanks warranty way to go (laughs) right Bill, I guess Bill didn't uh, keep those up to uh, keep those maintained. Yeah, Bill, Bill, like passing off this like fucking defective ass truck. 
<laughs> I think I think Bill just didn't believe in in uh, airbags. Maybe he's like, no, I don't need I don't need that uh, pansy shit. <laughs> I I die in the crash like a man. <laughs> Government conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I I did love how you know this was like a classic scene from the game the the ambush scene uh, in the game it's Pittsburgh like we mentioned earlier but here it's Kansas City same basic concept though a guy pretending to be hurt and Joel just like. Running him over, basically. But, like, as as the truck just flies toward the guy who's being the decoy, he drops the act immediately, goes, oh, fuck, and, like, starts shooting at the truck. And that was, like, the case in the game, and they kind of did that again here in the show. I, I just loved seeing that play out. And they, it was fun. they had the song that they played earlier. Yes. Played during, like, all the way through that scene. So it was good right. that they started the show off with that. We're getting all the game elements here. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of nice callbacks already, and I there's more coming too, which is cool. So, yeah, so they've wrecked their truck. They can't drive away. There's no escape, or at least not easily yet. And so, uh, their first priority is Joel and Ellie. They just have to get out of the truck and get to cover because the attackers are closing in on them, throwing bullets their way. You know, pinging off the truck. They're they're under fire. It's getting it's getting sketch. And uh, Joel grabs his rifle and he tells Ellie to squeeze into a hole in a nearby wall. Like, he sees a gap in the drywall, basically. Tells her, like, get in there and hide. And so she crawls to safety while he covers her. He, like, he like stands up and starts returning fire on the ambushers while she's crawling to the, the wall. And he actually manages to tag one. He takes one out with his rifle, and the first guy goes down. And it was awesome, because you hear the second guy go, oh, fuck, you killed him. Like, you're going to pay for that. Like, just the the dialogue straight out of the game. It's like the same vibe. It's like they're, you know, the the uh, bad guys, you know, talking shit at you as they try to kill you. It's crazy. And we see that Joel is tactical as fuck. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this this was all planned out. Yeah, he's, he, had, he had a good position. He just kind of, like, stayed in cover. He lined up on the guy. He was just throwing rounds down range. He was working that bolt like a pro. He knew what he was doing. Um, and so, and also, also great tactical, uh, acuity here when he takes out the first guy, he repositions, he like moves further into the laundromat, knowing that the second guy is going to come and try and flank him and find him, you know, knows where he is now, but he repositions. And when the second guy comes into the laundromat, Joel has a clear, clear shot at him, takes him out too, just eliminates the second guy. So it seems like the coast is clear now, like they're not getting shot at anymore, but then suddenly. A third man busts through the back door and gets the drop on Joel. It just gets him, gets him on the floor, pins him down, and starts strangling him with, with a shotgun. And Joel is, you know, trying to fight back, but he's he's losing he's losing the struggle here. Uh, Ellie knows like this, that Joel's in trouble, so she hi- she leaves her hiding place, and she has the pistol drawn, the one that she stole from Bill and Frank. She kind of, kind of sneaks up behind the guy and shoots him in the back. It seems like it kind of seems like she hit him in the spine. Yeah. Because uh, he says he can't in a in a minute here. He says that he can't use his legs. So like she got him dead center, like right in the spine. That's fucking crazy. Like for her first time shooting someone that we've seen at least, pretty good shot. <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Your first your first time shooting a person. It, I was like, you didn't hit Joel. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the that's the best we could hope for. You didn't accidentally you know blow Joel's head off. And so, yeah, like she saves Joel's life basically by shooting this guy in the back and the bandit immediately, like he starts, starts begging for his life. Like, no, please don't kill me. We're not like, no, the fight's over. And he starts crying. Yeah. He can't move his legs. He's like just helpless on the, on the ground. And, you know, he's immediately in 
conversation mode when seconds before he was in you're gonna fucking die i'm gonna kill you mode yeah <laughs> so yeah he, like, he turned that shit all the way off it was, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it was, i was like oh god get yeah. your name and everything yeah went from 11 to zero real quick on the aggression meter there and he's like oh no my name's brian you know <laughs> we we're cool we can trade <laughs> like my, my mom lives down the block you can take me to her it's all this like just getting it's getting really pathetic and really sad really quick and it's getting like man this is not a fight anymore this is like cold it, it got cold-blooded really quick because yeah he you know surrenders his knife he's like here you can have my knife and like he's just like you know wanting to be spared so bad and, and joel stands up he's back on his feet now and he's just kind of like looking like stone cold resolute like there's only one way this plays out and he tells ellie get back behind the wall and she hesitates for a minute but she turns and you know hurries back behind the wall and as soon as she moves to leave you can tell brian knows he he's screwed now like no this is this is it and he's just wailing in 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 terror and screaming for mercy and we just hear kind of like a a wet thunking noise as we assume joel takes the knife and finishes the job so pretty uh pretty hardcore pretty cold-blooded stuff it's crazy but uh that's the world we're in right now so yes i will say one thing i liked about that scene was when he brian bust in the back door he tried to shoot joel and joel like knocked the shotgun up Mm -hmm. with his gun and just i was like good god man 56 year old like badass yeah he's spry for uh for his age absolutely yeah all that paranoia man (laughs) all that paranoia it's like he's this was just i don't know everything about the scene was just like absolutely like just fucking wild yeah absolutely and that that finisher i was like oh god this is this is real (laughs) like this is yeah this is grim yeah and so so they uh you know, now that Brian is uh, dead, uh, the the two kind of grab whatever supplies they need and uh, they kind of just make a hasty escape. Um, they're trying to, you know, like hoping to get to higher ground to find a way out of the city. Uh, so like they, they get to the street and then they see like several vehicles carrying more hostile human survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like ducking behind cars and and um, just trying to keep a low profile. Mm-hmm. And like you even hear someone like, oh, no, body, body, Brian's yeah. dead. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, there's a there's a lot more people and there's going to be more people coming. Brian had friends, lots of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like we cut to a former federal holding cell and a woman named Kathleen is interrogating an elderly man named Edelston mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, asking him for the whereabouts of several people, like all of whom he claims to not have seen at all. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, she she keeps she keeps grilling him, basically, and she basically believes he knows where a man named Henry is. And she's yeah. not really taken, you know, not believing anything he's saying mm-hmm. and. So Kathleen shares that, like, you know, federal officers beat her brother to death in a cell like this and basically accuses Edelstein of being a snitch. Yeah. It's like, you ratted my brother out and he, you know, died in a cell just like this due to Fedra. Um, And so we also find out at this point, Edelstein is a doctor uh, who delivered Kathleen. So it's like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a doctor is probably pretty fucking important. Yeah, but. especially one who's known you literally your entire life. So <clears throat> this this is this is neighbors turning on neighbors here. That's that's really the core of the scene because 
Yeah, Kathleen accuses Edelstein, like you ratted out your own neighbors to Fedra. So we're we're looking at insurgents who have won their uprising, basically, and they're taking revenge on anyone who helped the oppressors, basically. That's what, that's the dynamic that's playing out here. And a doctor who literally delivered you when you were born is not exempt from this retribution of like if you helped the people we just kicked out of power then you're you're fucked like he, it's going to come back on you the fact that you helped them it's it this was an incredibly deep scene that yeah. did a lot with not that much screen time really yeah this is what happens when you're um you know when you're insurgency and your movement doesn't have uh doesn't think about what you do afterwards yeah. um <laughs> and so edelstein is basically like you know hey this has gone too far and he, you know, kind of just begs her to see reason. And then Kathleen just is basically, you know, like contends that like Henry sold out her brother and mm-hmm. she demands to know where he is. She puts a gun to his head and, uh, you know, she's like, you think I won't do it? And he does shake his head. No, like slowly. He's like, Ugh. you can't and, do it. Uh, I'm your I'm your doctor. Of course, you're not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm also just like, hey, hold up. That's a doctor. Like, we we definitely need one of those. That's not a profession that anyone can do. Like, especially yeah. now, who the fuck is going to train these people? Put, put them to work. Yeah. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, we use this man's medical expertise. Do not kill him. Like, come on. It's not like he's like, oh, I was a grocery clerk or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, this man is yeah. a doctor. Like, this oh, is I, I was a I was a freelance rubber band collector and I and I snitched on my neighbors like yeah kill that right. guy like yeah, you don't need yeah, yeah. it's like I'm sorry man should have had it you should have been more useful but like doctor I'd be like well hold on now Kathleen I don't want to get shot but like maybe reconsider but <laughs> but like you know then she's distracted by truck horns from outside and mm. then she travels out. Yeah, she, she hears horns outside. She knows that something's going on out there. She goes outside to see what it is. And basically, the search parties have come back with the bodies of Brian and his buddies who uh, Joel took out. And so these these armed, you know, kind of roughshod looking, you know, dirty, scraggly Kansas City survivors, these plucky working Joes who look like they've just been through a war. And like, I think that's the impression we're meant to get. Uh, they're all just kind of gathered around these these you know fallen friends of theirs, and Kathleen looks at this uh, this guy who I don't think we hear his name or see his name in the episode, but I know from behind the scenes this guy's name is Perry, and he's, he's kind of like uh, Kathleen's second in command. And he's also Tommy's voice actor from the video game. That's right. That's right. I was going to get to that. Perry is played by Jeffrey Pierce, who was the yeah. original voice and mocap actor behind Tommy in the game. So. Uh, love this guy. I love his work, and I'm psyched to see him on screen. And uh, he, goddamn, he looks awesome in this in this episode. Perry is this like bearded badass, this totally like stone cold looking dude who he's covered in knives and pistols and shit. Like he's just he's like he's like strapped up. He's looking ready for war. And uh, he tells Kathleen, uh, you know, these three men killed by uh, outsiders. Uh, they, you know, we found their truck. It wasn't a Fedra vehicle, but they did have a lot of supplies. They might be mercenaries is basically what he tells her. Which mercenary? Yeah. Mer- yeah. I was like, well, mercenaries? Yeah, might be mer- I was like, maybe you were a little bit, you know, you might still be drunk on war, man. Cause I was like, yeah. this isn't Mad Max. Yeah. That's a weird <laughs> assumption to make. <laughs> like, Mercs, who does that? I don't know. But, uh, no, yeah. So, and even, an even weirder assumption, Kathleen immediately jumps to the conclusion, oh, they must be working with Henry. (laughs) 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like, bro, you need to calm down before we start calling you Karen. 
these people are, yeah no seriously but these people are paranoid as hell they're like everyone's out to get us everyone's a mercenary everyone's working with henry <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm like what the fuck <laughs> yeah so she's you know kind of like uh making plans and she's kind of considering what she's been told and she looks at one of the the three bodies i guess one of them is still clinging to life he was just badly wounded and she asks um can he be saved can this guy is there hope for this guy uh, is what if I had a doctor? Could a doctor save him? And there's like a medic kind of looking over the three bodies, including Brian, and he just kind of looks back at her and says, "No, there's no chance." And so, without a word, once she hears that, Kathleen just walks right back into the holding cell, executes Edelstein right there, just shoots him in the head. And she, she you know, Kathleen means business, like very, very clearly means business. She goes back outside and rallies her followers. You know, find Henry, kill any collaborators they come across. It's a very deliberate word she used that's an important word collaborators yeah. uh, because like we said like these people are still in insurgency mode like uprising mode anyone who helped fedra or is with fedra they're collaborators they all need to die and so she's kind of calling the shots and her people mobilize all these armed men to start storming nearby residences like in investigating apartments tearing kansas city apart to find these outsiders and and it's important to note at this point, as we like alluded to earlier, uh, they've we've you know Joel drove past the quarantine zone, so this is mm-hmm. all outside in the quarantine yeah. zone. We're in the city, yeah. so the fact that these people are willing to storm residents outside of the yeah. protected quarantine zone to find some dude, just like just shows you what kind of influence that Kathleen has, because I, right. that's that's like dangerous lumber right there. I'm not doing that. Yeah, they, they must not be that concerned about infected or they've already cleared out infected or whatever. Like, yeah, they've they they are acting like they completely own this city, which we're not used to seeing having come from Boston in the previous episodes. Yeah. yeah I got people you and the human centipede connected together. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a infected rule in that town, yeah. Yeah. So apparently Kansas City's doing a little bit better than Boston. I guess so. And so we we uh cut to a uh you know, a boarded up storefront and we have Ellie and Joel both hiding in there um, as like the, you know, hunters search the city mm-hmm. and they both spot a tall building and they kind of plan to make their their way over there as soon as they stop hearing tanks because mm-hmm. like the tanks are pretty much like across the street. <laughs> yeah, these guys have like like legit military hardware. They got like Humvees and I think like I saw like a, there was a truck with a big plow on it. And creepy as hell, like, you know, bone chilling. They had the word run just yeah. painted on the plow. So these these guys are fucking serious. They mean business. Yeah, because it was funny because at the beginning of the episode when they were talking about like Ellie was like, uh, you know, said something when they were at the gas station. And Joel was like, yeah, mm-hmm. they used to put these big plows on the, the uh, trucks and they would clear out everything. And yeah. so it's like we get to see one right away. That's and right. then we gotta even have the truck with the uh the fucking like Gatling gun on the back. It, it, they they're like yeah. they're they're armed up. So these guys yes. can do some damage. For sure. And so like, you know, they 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 both they plan to go to this building once the close is clear. Um and so like in an awkward silence, they both kinda or after, pretty much after an awkward silence, they both ask each other if if they're okay. Mm-hmm. And Joel uh, like, you know, kind of stammering like tells Ellie that she shouldn't have had to shoot Brian and like you can tell that like that is weighing on him heavily like it's it's it is really like just starting to tear him apart that she even had to do anything like that 
and what I like about that is like, you know, he's like, you're just a kid. Like you, you, you shouldn't, you know, know what it means to. And then he has to stop for a second and also mm-hmm. like reassure her that she didn't kill him. You know, like I, right. that's what I, I love about that part is because it's like he feels bad for her having to do that and, and is trying to sympathize for her. But he also wants to protect her from yeah. feeling like she just killed a man because like he also knows how hard that is. So yeah. it's like really like like uh, we're 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 getting where Joel is like kind of opening up here like this is the most vulnerable you can get out of this man right now yeah like offering like he's obviously not used to consoling people trying to offer them words of comfort and so it's very clumsy but that is what he's trying to do is like uh hey it's like you just you just wounded him i'm the one who actually killed him so don't feel too bad basically it's like the very clumsy way of trying to you know console her yeah it's like i you know i did it you know i'm sorry you had to hurt somebody about about it but you know it was me like and it just like man doesn't even know what he's doing and like so he cuz he he knows how like traumatizing it is to take a life and uh like for the first time mm-hmm. and you know he's really trying to convey that and but he's like I'm shitty at this and <laughs> Ellie is like yeah you are yeah you are <laughs> he's so, yeah. so shitty at this but it's like it's, it's kind of sweet because like he's really trying he's making the effort yeah yeah like he's trying so hard but he just like fucking can't and yeah. then like so like Ellie's like wiping, you know, wiping tears away and then pauses and then tells Joel that it wasn't her first time. Wow. And uh, and, and like Joe, you know, Joel's like take it back a bit. And then is kind of like, you know, kind of just compartmentalizes again and mm. then is just like takes the pistol, um, unloads it and then uh shows her how to properly grip it he's like show me how you know show me how you do this and then he's like where did you learn this from she's like federal school and he's like fucking course (laughs) uh, yeah that was so funny and then he he shows her how to uh how to use the gun and is is basically like okay it's yours now so like he was just like all right you know He's like recognizing her resourcefulness and yeah. and uh, like a little bit of her maturity in the moment. Like she didn't completely I like to believe like she didn't completely break down. She she's like still willing to go forward. Yeah. And like she also understands his concern. And I think he understands that. And so he's like, fuck it. We're going to do this. Then I'm going to show you how to use this if you're going to use it. And I do trust you to use it. Yeah. This. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, this is like an interesting uh, way of these both of these characters mutually building trust with each other because you know Ellie shows Joel some resilience and reliability and like shows him that she can pull her weight and kind of be someone to not not someone that he can rely on necessarily but not someone but someone who isn't a liability to him right and also he's showing her some semblance of respect for her and like showing her giving her more consideration as a person than you would if someone was just cargo to you he's at least like we said making the effort to make her feel better and that means a lot that that obviously means a lot to her and yeah by like showing her how to properly handle a gun like giving her the technique pointers and all that that's a huge show of trust from him to her when earlier he's been spending the last three episodes refusing to trust her with a gun and now that's like there's that bit of a bridge building there so yeah it's like every little bit you get a like like every 
time something like this happens, you get a little bit further than the, well, I'm, I'm just taking these precautions and acting this way because of Tess. So right. that's what I, I really loved about this. But, you know, like after uh, he's like, she goes to put the pistol in the back of her pants and he's like, don't do that. You're going to shoot your ass off. And then uh, <laughs> tells her to put it in her backpack. But of course she doesn't listen and puts it in her jacket pocket, which is probably a good idea, but you know, Hey, whoever. And so they yeah. kind of start to prepare to, to move through the, from their hiding spot. And uh, Joel tells her that, um, you know, everything is okay and that they'll get through this. And she responds mm. with, I know. And mm. nice little, moment of like yeah we're, we're starting to really trust each other because we have to we have to rely on each other yeah the the team dynamic starting there like hey we're gonna get through this and she's you know she feels like it's not just bullshit to say yeah we will get through this because we are starting to feel like we can rely on each other that's that's big that's big growth right there in a, in a scene like that and so after this we cut back to kathleen uh she's kind of overseeing the search for henry and she meets up with perry and tells him uh, I, you know, she's, I, I've come up with nothing, no sign of Henry yet, but Perry, he's like, well, I've got something. And he, uh, shows her to an attic hideout, like a, like a crawl space, basically above an apartment building that when they climb up into it, they see signs of recent habitation. There's open cans of food all over the place. And there are uh, drawings that you'd see like a kid like put together, like child, yeah. a, chil a child's drawings all over the place. And this kind of dawns on Kathleen. She, she kind of like has a realization like, oh, Henry must be low on food now. And she also mentions a second name. She mentions someone named Sam. She says, Henry wouldn't let Sam starve. So she's got, this is like a hunter closing in on their prey. That's sort of the vibe she's giving off. Like, oh, I've got them now. So, you know, they're low on food. So we need to double the guards around our provisions because they're going to make a, they're going to try and steal food from us. And that's when we'll get them. So she's making plans and like figuring stuff out. So obsessive. So yeah, she's, <laughs> she, yeah, she is a dog with a bone here. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And you know, Perry's like nodding. He's like, he's understanding like, okay, got it. Yeah, we'll do. But he looks like he's holding something back. Like he's thinking about something else and has a faraway look in his eyes. And Kathleen's like, what is it? And he just kind of like nods. And he's like, all right, well, I got something else to show you. And he <laughs> takes her to another room. It's like a basement now. They're, they're kind of underneath one of the buildings and he opens a door they shine a flashlight in and the floor of this basement is starting to just collapse. Like it's basically like a, a crater is forming in this concrete uh, floor and they're both like staring at it like, what the fuck is that? And then the floor, like the rubble of the floor starts to kind of pulsate and rumble as if something is pushing up from underneath. And that's creepy as fuck. I'm going to tell you right now. And they're both, they yeah. both seem terrified of this. They don't know what it is. Even a, even a total, you know, grizzled, hard-ass like Perry looks concerned about this, and he backs out, and Kathleen just goes, oh, shit, and runs out of the room. They both close the door. They look at each other like, this is bad. And Perry asks, when are we going to tell the others? <laughs> and I, I, I like that wording. Perry doesn't use the words, should we tell the others? He says, when are we telling the others? Yeah. And Kathleen's like, uh, later. You know, let's just deal with this first. You know, we, we got we to do take care of the Henry situation and we'll figure this out later. And again, Perry nods and he's like, okay, but he doesn't seem comfortable with that answer. He's like, this, uh, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to wait. <laughs> if, if I was Perry, I would have snitched. I would have had to snitch. I would be like, this is poor leadership decisions. Like, yeah, 
I understand that like Henry must have wronged you in some way or something, right. and you've got like some you know I don't know weird yeah. obsession with this. Like you're standing Henry negatively right now, but like. <laughs> The ground moved. The ground moved, lady. Yeah, yeah, like, the ground moved. I think that's more important than, like, a dude and some other dude. Yeah. (laughs) Just a couple of dudes running around. They don't seem like a bigger threat than this, but that's just my two cents. Like, what do I know? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, just like, okay, I guess we're just going to tell everybody later. Like, oh, yeah, but, you know, lock the doors. Yeah, we'll we'll seal the build. Yeah, I think that's the one thing she kind of lets him do for now. Like, okay, just seal the building and we'll take care of this later. But yeah, you're right. This is definitely personal, the whole Henry thing. We got the impression earlier that she holds Henry, whoever he is, we haven't met him yet. She holds Henry responsible for her brother dying at at the hands of Fedra. Like, uh, we, we know that she has this murder boner, basically, for collaborators. Yeah. Like, they all got to die. But I think she considers Henry, like the main collaborator, like the one that absolutely has to be put to justice. So everything else is secondary to her. Yeah. Including, yeah. Including this basement earthquake movement (laughs) shit. So like whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So good God. And so we go from, we go from this terrible decision all the way to uh, Ellie and Joel finally sneaking to the high rise building that they both had spotted earlier. And uh, they climb more than 30 stories before stopping the night to rest. And it's mm-hmm. it's actually um, it's kind of funny because like Joel is just like this is where we get to see how old Joel is. Yeah, because he's just like fucking exhausted. Give me a minute. I'm tapped out. <laughs> yeah, like like it's it's just it's hilarious because Joel is as old in this show as he is in The Last of Us 2 technically, which is like only four yeah. years older. So it's yeah. like not like a huge difference. But Joel's 56. So he's old. Mm. Like, he's I can't. Yeah. If I had to climb 33 flights of stairs and I'm younger, I would uh, yeah dropped. Yeah. <laughs> Over 30 stories at the age of 32, as I am now, like even I'm going to be winded after that. Holy shit. Like 56. Forget about it. And so on their on their way up, they get um, <clears throat> we get a nice uh, conversation that that also was had during the game. Mm-hmm. And um, Ellie asks, you know, like how they knew that uh, the the hurt dude from before was was an ambush, like the mm-hmm. guy who just, you know, was faking it mm-hmm. and simply answers that, you know, he's been on both sides and that, you know, and, and so like in the game, that was it <clears throat> in the game. He just said, I've been on both sides. And then he yeah. ke- you keep going and she's like, OK. Uh, but he gives a little bit more detail and he was like that group with, uh, you know, him and Tess and Tommy and those people, they did what they had to do in order to survive. And so, you know, then we get another another thing from the game where she asks, like, you know, have you killed innocent people? And he just doesn't respond. Yeah. And so, like, his silence is telling, though, like we know for sure this man killed a lot, must have killed a lot of innocent people. Um, yeah. And, you you know, like you get that like kind of flashback to Tess, you know, like it like to me, Mm. at least I get that flashback to Tess just being like we were shitty people. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the second episode, what she refers to, like we've done so much terrible stuff over the years that this that taking Ellie where she needs to go is like our karmic debt to pay, basically. And we're getting a bigger glimpse of that past here with Joel's very meaningful silence on that question. Like, did you kill innocent people? Like he just. It's like, let's keep, <laughs> he just ignores it basically. Yeah, I mean, let's keep going. I am not uh, digging that one up. 
<laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> so they eventually get to uh, an, uh, an office, like a, like an office suite, basically. Like they're in like a some kind of business building, and they they break their way into the into an office. And Joel, you know, spreads broken glass all over the you know front of the, in front of the door so that they can't get snuck up on in the night. Hopefully, at least that's the idea. And uh, they lay down to go to bed. And it's it's another kind of like the camping scene earlier. It's like this, uh, you know, not awkward, but it's it's a it's a pregnant pause. Basically, it's like a it's it's silent, dark. You know, you're trying to go to sleep, and you know, it's a void, and you know, you try to fill that with conversation. So it's it's actually Joel's turn to try to fill the void with conversation, which he doesn't normally do. But they're laying down to sleep in this office, and he asks Ellie. What did she mean when she said it wasn't her first time hurting someone? And uh, Ellie says she doesn't want to talk about it. You know, she doesn't just ignore the question like Joel does, like Joel usually does. She explicitly says, I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, okay, well, you don't have to talk about it, but I just want you to know it's not fair for someone your age to have to go through what you've gone through. So kind of like, again, offering her that sort of lifeline, like, hey, I just want you to know that this is fucked up and it's not okay. And I'm here for you basically like without saying all that, you know, just, it's the age thing. Like you're young, you shouldn't have to go through this. And so she asks him, well, does that mean it gets easier as you get older? <laughs> He's a, uh, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's yeah, not. Yeah, not at all. And so another awkward silence passes. And again, they're trying to go to sleep and Ellie decides to break the tension with one more horrible joke. And I think she says, um, you know, did you know that diarrhea is hereditary? He, he just doesn't say anything because it runs in your genes. <laughs> and he, it, it, this was great. Joel just makes like the slightest little chuckling noise and then just says, that is so goddamn stupid. <laughs> 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 Ellie, like Ellie laughs her ass off. She's like, you laugh, motherfucker. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes. It's like a good old poop joke is the uh, one thing everybody can connect on if it's a joke about shit people are gonna laugh at that stuff and there's also yeah. that there's also like the interesting part of the conversation where we realize that like joel is also uh can't hear so well on his right side that's right yeah and from uh, uh from both getting shot at and from just shooting guns so often over the years with no ear protection i'm guessing yeah so so joel yeah. is is a little bit little bit hard of hearing on one side which is why uh, good old Brian was able to kind of get the jump on him temporarily. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because he, he wasn't able to like hear it right away until Brian was like, he wasn't able to hear him coming. He was only able to hear him once he got there. Um, once we came through the door. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good point. I didn't think of that. But yeah, I mean, after the day they've had a, a joke like that, that's I think that's exactly what they both needed because they because <laughs> yeah, she uh, Ellie finally manages to make Joel laugh and they, uh, you know, they just they finally have this moment of catharsis where they laugh together and they both really really needed that after today a poop joke for a shitty day that's <laughs> just, just basically it absolutely and so they, they finally get to sleep um but unfortunately they don't get their uh they don't get a a solid eight hours like they need <laughs> later that night we hear ellie calling joel's name trying to wake him up and he opens his eyes to see a young man pointing a gun at ellie and also a younger man, a boy, really, uh, holding him at gunpoint. So they're both in grave danger, and uh, the boy holding the gun at Joel just puts a finger to his lips. Yeah. It's fucking and, 
got the got the face paint on too. Yeah, yeah, he had face paint. Like he had like a like a superhero mask, kind of like painted onto his uh, onto his face. So that was interesting. Like, what a cliffhanger, man! What a way to what a way to roll credits on this one. Hell yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was that was yeah, it was it was intense. So this concludes our coverage of Last of Us episode four. Uh, we are going to take a quick break here, and then we will be back with our overall thoughts and some Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Got to take our Boyardee break. It's it's union mandated, actually, to take our Boyardee <laughs> break. So stick around. Okay, we're back, and uh, we have broken down the events of Episode 4 of the Last of Us series. And, uh, yeah, this this was, I mean... I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but like I feel like every week we come on and say another banger, like yeah. another, another, another bop of an episode. Um, but yeah, like we'll uh, we'll just share some overall thoughts and impressions we had of this episode. Firstly, for me, I just thought, you know, again, like the uh, the pacing here was really great. I thought like there was just the right balance of character moments, of dialogue, of of humor, uh, and there there was nice action here too. I'll get to that later, but. Um, I think what really formed the backbone of this episode was just really well executed and gradual evolution of Joel yep. and Ellie's relationship. Like they really took the center stage here. Like it's cool how after last episode, which was a kind of a not a side story, but it was kind of like a, a branch into Bill and Frank's whole story. And it was I think we said last time that Bill and Frank's story was bookended by the dynamic growing between Joel and Ellie. But this episode was really just, it really gave them the center stage. And um, God, the the joke book scenes, the comedic dialogue, the back and forth was just flawless. And uh, overall, Pedro and Bella just continued to nail their dialogue here in this episode. And they, uh, their chemistry is getting really, really good now, I feel like. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'd say that... Um... Like my thoughts are just like this was just a again stellar episode. Like mm-hmm. this is definitely like it just keeps getting better. Um, you know, and it it's it's such a uh, kind of like it's a it's a nice departure from like we had like last week's episode was like darker, but also more heartfelt, and like mm-hmm. this one. So like we kind of get that that was like that was our break, and yeah. like that was such an emotionally charged episode. That was our our like little break before we dive back into the like chaos of uh-huh. humanity, and so it's like what a like it, it kind of just like an emotional wave. I yeah. like I appreciated that. Like you go from you know this like kind of sweet love story that like still is dark to this just okay. Now we're gonna go back to humanity. And we're mm-hmm. going to see how the people that are uh, not inside of, you know, this like kind of closed and protected town are living. And spoiler, yeah. they're living like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's check in on the people who haven't found soulmates and see yeah. how they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's like we're, we're trying to kill each other. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. for sure. It, it's cool. The, the show, I feel like, is kind of keeping us on our toes, like, you know, back and forth, like, you know, this like almost a cutaway vignette with Bill and Frank back to the, the world building of, Oh, here's, here's a city that completely ate itself alive with uh Fedra and insurgents fighting each other. And let's see how, 
you know, everything mixes when we throw Joel and Ellie into that situation. So, yeah, no, it's yeah, we're we're getting a nice change of pace each time. I feel like, yeah, um, uh, you know, core central to that. One other thing I really liked about this episode was the action. Uh, there was a really cool, a uh, little uh, thriller scene here with the truck ambush. I was really excited to see how the truck ambush scene would be done on the small screen. Because, you know, that's like a classic part of the game, one of my favorite parts of the game. And I wasn't disappointed. I liked I liked what they did with it. Yeah. Um, I My one quirk, I, I don't even really feel like this is a criticism, but like the one thing I find interesting is that uh, Joel didn't seem bothered by Ellie hiding the gun from him. I, I, I just kind of expected that to be a bigger source of conflict. Like in the last episode when we saw Ellie take the pistol and hide it, uh, I, I just kind of thought that that would lead to more tension between them than it did. I feel like, I, I don't want to say that was glossed over, but it, it was just a smaller point than I thought it was going to be because, you know, she saves his life with the gun that she hid from him. And in the game, Joel freaks out. Like, I, you know, I, you know, I told you to, you know, hang back and, you know, what are you doing? And I'm just lucky you didn't, you know, kill me on accident or whatever. Like he, he freaks out over her using a gun. And I, I think actually, one thing that I'm realizing now, having seen the show and talked about it with you, there could be a deeper level to the game part of that, you know, that scene that I hadn't, con- I hadn't considered earlier. Maybe game Joel was upset, not because, you know, Ellie used the gun, but because he was upset that she was in a, was put in a position that she had to, and as a child didn't deserve to be there. And so that's, a, that's a different aspect of that scene that the show is kind of giving us. So, it was it was an, it was a difference that I didn't expect and I wasn't necessarily thrilled by, but I it makes sense now that I've like kind of thought about it. But it's just like you know I, I just I guess I thought that the hiding of the gun was going to be a bigger deal than it was, but it does having seen how it played out in the show that does speak to that growing trust between them. Like I think in the show the show version of Joel he was I guess a bit quicker to overlook the hiding of the gun because Ellie saved his life with it, so yeah. he's like pragmatic to a fault he's like okay well you hit it from me you broke my trust but you saved my life so whatever it's a wash i guess yeah and that's like yeah it, yeah that's i, I kind of I, I agree with that like yeah i think it i i kind of wonder now how if it would have been different if she had actually killed brian then you know yeah yeah that's a good like point. like would he have just been like really like down to the dumps <laughs> yeah. like like not only did you shoot him you like he died instantly and i didn't like have to finish him off like yeah that, that would have been interesting to see how that, how that would play out yeah yeah and if, the more i think about it the more i'm just like yeah i guess it makes it makes more and more it makes sense on more and more levels the more i think about why he you know killed brian like obviously yeah. there's the obvious reasons and then there's like the yeah like you kind of also had to kill him to spare ellie's feelings yeah, and, you don't uh, want and, uh, her to see it or have to do it herself. So, yeah, or yeah, yeah cuz he or and know that when they leave that guy there he's definitely going to die anyways. Right. So like and right. then it would be her fault. So it's like I I need to take care of this. Like it's weird in a dark way he's taking care of her by by killing a guy. That's a good point. Yeah. And and so like, you know, honestly my next point was really about that like um we get to see Joel doing what Joel does best in the game. Um, in a more realistic manner, but it is, you know, kind of kicking ass and at, kicking ass now and asking questions later. Mm-hmm. Like, like I really loved tactical Joel because like the way I saw that scene was like, okay, I can kill two birds with one stone, both literally and figuratively. 
Like I can have Ellie go into the crack. And so when I reposition, the guy's probably going to come out, you know, like go that way because he's going to think I ducked away and he just like oh, yeah. tagged him on the wall. And like, that's right. So I'm just like, he's like, I was like, this man knew what he was doing and he knew what he was doing quickly. Like he re really like evaluated his surroundings and he took action. Yeah. He was in his element for sure. Yeah, and when he, like, knocks the shotgun up into the air, it's like, dude is just, like, pure instinct and reflexes. Like, someone yeah. got the jump on him, and he still was able to not get shot. Yeah. And then we got then it got dark, you know? Like, you get the scenes in The Last of Us where you get the, like, you, you kill all the people, and there's the last person there, and they're like, please don't, oh! <laughs> Yeah. And then when you leave them, they get up and try to kill you anyway, so you have to shoot right. them. But, right. like, this was just, like, you know, like this, this scene sucks because it's like, hey, y you know, he wasn't like he he was he this was some kid that was kind of uh, yeah. hyped up with numbers and guns. And he thought he had the, got the jump on him. And he, you know, he had a big head and a big ego. And yeah. that thing got deflated. Yeah, it, it was it was a little hard to watch, like such a such a young guy, uh, barely more than a kid, like realize his mortality a little too late and just yeah. face his end like that. It's just like, Oh my God, I forgot about this earlier. I didn't say this earlier. He literally was crying out for his mom right yeah. before Joel kills him. Yep. That was, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. That was super hard. Yeah. And it was like, it's, it's like what I liked about that scene is, um, you know, or and, and what my point about this scene is, mm -hmm. is that like, it's weird because it's moments like this that remind us that Joel isn't actually a murderer. He's um, he's like not just killing for fun and he's not yeah. getting some sort of like sick joy out of it. He doesn't want the world to burn. He's just surviving the thing yeah. that he always talks about. He's just surviving. And like his goal is to keep those that he considers family close and out of harm's way. Mm -hmm. And like he's just willing to do whatever needs to be done in the situation to achieve that. And like in this time he had to keep Ellie safe. So Brian had to die. Yeah. And it's just. Like it's it's weird to say, but it's like that's just business, man. Yeah, that's just what he. <laughs> yeah, that's what he does, and that's how Bill put it. That's that's what Bill said. That that's how you and I are alike. If we consider someone family, we will move mountains to keep them safe, and we will butcher the fuck out of anyone we have to to make sure that that person that's important to us is safe. Yeah. So yeah, we see that in action here. Cause like if he was like some kind of heartless jackass, he wouldn't have told her to go away. Like he's yeah. just like you know what it's about to happen, right? Right. Yeah. No. That's that was a big scene. A lot of big scenes here. My my other takeaway about this episode was that uh, we're starting to see some pretty significant and interesting departures from the game. Uh, we talked about like a lot of direct tie-ins and callbacks, but also a couple of uh, kind of deviations, so, like. There's a good mix of things they're doing different and things they're taking directly from the game, which is cool. It keeps us on our toes as yeah. as TV viewers who also play the game. It's like nice to see things we recognize, but also see things that are different. And I, I guess the big the biggest difference here is uh, this episode basically adapted the Pittsburgh chapter of the game. We've mentioned Pittsburgh a few times, but the adaptation of the show moved the setting of this episode from Pittsburgh to Kansas City. And also, it seems like they're making Henry kind of more of a central character to what's happening here. Like, yeah. Henry is now connected to the conflict in Kansas City. Yeah. Whereas in the game, he he and Sam were just passing through Pittsburgh. They were just trying to get through the city, just like Joel and Ellie were. Yeah. They weren't, like, from there. So 
the showrunners seem to be tweaking just plot points a little bit, just just enough to make the story work that much better in the television medium. So like I I think that's something I've noticed in other episodes in previous episodes and I'm just I just keep seeing it here where it, it's like they're just showing a really good understanding of what works in the game wouldn't necessarily work perfectly in the show. So we're just like fitting what we can in we, we're fitting in what we can fit in and shaving things or reshaping things where we have to. I don't know, it's just I feel like this the changes here make sense because yeah. Pittsburgh feels a little too close to Boston to make sense as like the next big set piece. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where they have the truck, they have, they can cover miles and miles and miles of ground, but they only make it to Pittsburgh before they lose their truck. Whereas in the show, by putting it in Kansas city, it's like, I feel like that makes more sense for them to have had that travel montage of crossing like dozens of States to get to Kansas city, Missouri. It just makes more sense to me. Like, yeah. And having Henry like, have an actual stake in what's happening in Kansas city. And that feels like that'll be that much more engaging when Joel and Ellie are brought into Henry's conflict as well. So I don't know, just the changes they've made with this episode. I feel like I'm getting more, I'm, I'm more bought in as a viewer than I would be if it was the same setting, same premise, same conflict as it was in the game. So good changes generally. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that, um, if I had like a fan, like a big brain tinfoil hat fan theory is that like they're adapting. Like if you go around the game, you get, you see these notes and you kind of get like a small understanding of like what's going on in the city. And I feel Mm -hmm. like they adapt some of these, um, some of what was in some, some of the notes, like some of the more obscure, like random notes where it's like this person's story has started and ended, or just like, this is the only thing you're ever going to know about this person. It's not, pivotal to the story in any means right. uh, and i think they kind of worked uh worked that in because like i remember specifically there was a note from somebody that you find in like an abandoned house and it was this person that talked about how their son went into a protest mm-hmm. and Federa killed them and so now that they're going to join up with the resistance because it's like they might as well like die yeah. fighting for something and so right. like we're getting and then there, there's like stuff about like the hunters and how they formed and how they went to shit after, you know, they accomplished this big thing. And so, yeah. like, I think that's that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here. But I, I like how it's, it's being adapted because, like, it would be it'd be so hard to, to, to showcase it exactly as it is in the game yeah. without it just being like crazy people, unrelated side character that has no stakes, but for some reason has all the stakes. Right. Reason, you know, like like something big that can wrap all of this up. It's just, you know, mm. like instead of us just mm. being like high and by. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um like that's why I was so psyched to see Melanie Linsky's character, uh Kathleen. I, I like Melanie Linsky, she's a great actress. And Kathleen showing up as like putting a face to that concept that was really only alluded to in the game in the game you just have like this like you said kind of background references to this civil war basically that erupted in this city it was pittsburgh now kansas city same premise though like these are just normal people who felt like they were being oppressed and abused by fedra and they did something about it and kicked them out killed them off and it's really cool to see that play out or like get some like get to play with that more on the on the tv show 
Uh, I'm just like, I'm really fascinated by that plot point of the game. I was always really cool. Like I always thought that was a really cool story to be kind of fed crumbs of in the background of the game. And so I'm like psyched to see that play out on TV. And, um, you know, just the subtleties and dynamics of insurgents who won the war and they now control the city. Like that's just, that's just a great story. And I'm like, you know, looking forward to more of that. Oh yeah. No, 100%. And I, I also just love that, that like Joel and Ellie are, they're getting like thrust into these situations now where they like need to depend on each other. And like you said, Mm -hmm. there's that evolution. Like, um, you know, we talked about in the last episode, we said that like, basically at this point, everybody that Joel cares about or considers family with like the exception of Tommy, uh, that we know, since we haven't seen Tommy yet is dead. Mm-hmm. So like all of them in the course of two episodes, everyone that he's like pretty much cool with has, has died. And, um, you know, like even though they have this conversation in the car where he's basically just like, Nope, your cargo, um, you know, and not family. And he's just doing this job for Tess. Like we are slowly seeing Ellie grow into like this, this new unexpected connection. That's like, it's not like filling space for anyone. It is a new, uh, like it is a new connection. Like Joel, uh, you know, says these things and then puts on a tough face, but like, he's like not an asshole. He is very much like he's concerned. He doesn't know how to be concerned. He's protective. Um, which, you know, he can do to a, a, a fault. And then he, he's like, he, he doesn't like, he's still treating her like a child that's in a, um, that's back in 2003. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah. and I, I like that. Cause it's like, oh, you know, a kid like you shouldn't have to kill somebody. I like motherfucker. Like d- Brian probably wasn't that much older. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, like, right. That's yeah. a good point. Like, so I was like, shit, shit's different. Shit be yeah. happening. It's the, <laughs> it's. 20 years into the mushroom headed apocalypse. (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Like fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's, um, yeah, I I think with this episode, we're getting like the, the beginnings of that bridge being built and it's really fun to watch and just looking forward to, uh, how else that'll be explored between those two characters, like these two principal characters who drive the entire thing. Um, yeah, to- totally. My last, my last takeaway, last thing I uh, wanted to shout out about this show is just, just uh, props to Jeffrey Pierce. I love that guy. He's a great actor. I feel like he's really underrated in sort of the uh, in Hollywood in general. But he's been in some video games that y- you all probably recognize. But it's a little under the radar. Obviously, he was Tommy in Last of Us, but uh, he was also in Call of Duty World War II. Uh, he played uh, Lieutenant Turner in in that game, and I think that was a masterpiece performance that doesn't get talked about enough uh and so you know just seeing him on on you know live action really cool because like he you know i i I heard the story that he actually originally read uh and auditioned for the for the role of joel uh but that eventually went to to troy baker obviously but he was later offered the role tommy and just like i think really fleshed out brought a lot of uh, pathos to it a lot of life to it and it's, it's great that, like, you know, he's not Tommy on the show, obviously, Gabriel Luna is, but it's so cool that he's, like, involved in this in this, uh, in this this way. And, you know, he's, he's like, honestly, for me at least, he low-key stole the show a bit, like, as Perry, because he just kind of, 
he has such a stage presence. Like he said, he does so much with just expressions and presence. And I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a Jeffrey Pierce stan. I'll say it. Uh, Jeffrey, if you're listening, we love you, buddy. Come on the show. We'd love to have you. Uh, and just, yeah, I'm just like, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what else he does. Cause I, I feel like he's going to, he's, I'm going to, I think he's going to continue to steal the, steal the scenes a bit. And, uh, just with the ominous foreshadowing of that, uh, of that rumbling concrete floor. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just psyched to see what else he does with this role and, uh, what else, uh, what else happens in this, uh, in the Kansas city, uh, chapter that we're in now. Yeah. Cause he doesn't like you. I, I totally agree. Cause he doesn't have a lot of lines, but like mm-hmm. he has presence and like, he yeah. does it, does it well. Like you, he does a lot of acting with his eyes and like, mm-hmm. so to me, he's, he's right up there with, uh, Pedro Pascal and, and, uh, and Joel. And like that just like, yeah sort of uh you know my silence speaks volumes absolutely so i was like perfect uh like you know they got perfect pair like like when when they're both on screen they're both really like commanding and so i am looking forward to see like hey what happens are these two gonna meet up you know is there gonna be like a face-to-face confrontation or anything like that that'd be cool yeah yeah can't wait well, I think uh, lastly, I uh, want to shout out a uh, really quick quote. We sometimes have a uh, dialogue we like or quotes we want to uh, highlight, but I, I think we talked about this earlier. The climbing of the stairs where we see Joel uh, show his age a bit and get a little exhausted. And he's like, he's like sitting on the floor against the wall, like, just give me a minute. Let me catch my breath. And I think Ellie calls him a lazy ass. Like, get on your feet, lazy ass. And I just, I just love his response. He goes, lazy ass 56 years old you little shit <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I i don't know there's something about the term you little shit that just warms my heart because I, I just love seeing like the again that generational dynamic play out like oh fuck off i'm 56 i kept so. making i kept making the joke that i was like you know i'm really waiting for him to call her a little shit at one point and then <laughs> it finally happened and i was like yeah because like she's just been poking the bear every episode just like fucking with this guy and i'm just Big like yeah. i was waiting for him to break down it's like leave me alone you little shit <laughs> like because you've gotten like you got little little glimpses of it when like they were sitting in the hallway on episode two and they were talking to each other mm-hmm. and uh she's flipping mm-hmm. a knife and stuff and so like they just they've had their like back and forth so i'm waiting for i was waiting for him to have like enough <laughs> yeah definitely Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.